an invitation to become the kind of man whom God can entrust his kingdom. Who wouldn't want that? Every man longs to be that kind of man, the kind of man whom God can entrust his kingdom to. And that's the topic of our conversation today. I'm Alan Arnold. In the studio with me is Morgan Snyder, and we're talking about the Become Good Soil Intensive. If you haven't heard last week's podcast, I encourage you to go to that first, listen to that, because this is a continuation of a message we started last week. Morgan, tell the listeners a little bit about what they're going to hear today. Thanks, Alan. There's so much content, so much gold that we have for you that's in the full Become Good Soil Intensive Box collection. What we wanted to do is just pull a few short samples to give you a taste, hopefully to give you a bit of an enticement into it and also a disruption. So often how Jesus works with us, he entices us and he disrupts us. So in some ways, part one was supposed to be enticing and disrupting. And part two is the invitation to what if there's another way? As you said, Alan, what if there's another path that we could choose to participate with the Father to become sons, to choose the narrow road, and become the kind of men in whom God can entrust his kingdom? The scriptures say there's a wide road, and many travel it, and it leads to death. And there's a narrow road, and few find it, but those that find it find life. And part two is the invitation to life. I'm ready. Let's go into it. Let's do it. It is God's design. It is God's desire. And it's God's intention for you to rule and to be entrusted with a portion of his kingdom. But you have to ask the question, what's gone wrong? That's not what you see. When Paul says in Romans 8, all of creation, right, everything with breath, is groaning in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed because the truth is, since the fall, we've done a pretty crappy job, right? We've not moved in exercising a fierce mastery of strength and love. We've moved in all sorts of other ways. Dallas Willard says that the primary work of God is finding men in whom he can entrust with his power. And the story of most men is being entrusted with power and it bringing harm to themselves and those under their care. That's actually a better interpretation if you look around the world, the church, businesses, ministries. It's men entrusted with power, and ultimately it brings harm to themselves and those under their care because they take their question instead of their strength. And the truth is, because of Adam, it's every one of our stories. It's what each of us do every day in part. When God was really revealing this through these older men, I started noticing it just all over the place. The first was Tiger Woods. I was driving down I-25 in Colorado Springs, and I saw this billboard. And this was back in the day where he was the hero. He was the man, and I was a golfer back in a, in a former life. And I remember seeing this, this billboard. It said, what are you made of? And, and I thought, yeah, he's solid to the core. He, I mean, that, that's like, that's what I want to be. And it was all this striving and... And it wasn't but a week later that he literally crashes, the middle of the night, hits a fire hydrant, and, and it all comes out. I mean, he has prostitutes for 50 to 60 grand a night, right? And, 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 and he's never recovered. Chronic injuries, and, 
And, and they just hide him, right? He loses his sponsorships. But all those people that put their hope in this young, this African-American hero, and, and all the while, is just a driven man that just um, careened a kingdom. Another one was Bernie Madoff. And this one hit home. You know, my dad's Jewish, and this guy's a, a, a Jewish um, powerful businessman that, if you remember him, it was the big Ponzi scheme on Wall Street where it was estimated that this is profound. An entire generation of Jewish wealth on the planet evaporated under his leadership. A generation of wealth of all Jewish people on the entire planet. That much. Like, what, what, was that, what does that do to breed cynicism, right? And anger and more corruption. You know, one of the recent ones was Joe Paterno. And you guys know the story of Jerry Sandusky, his assistant coach for many years. And, you know, total awful sexual um, molestation of young boys over 15 years. And, and the thing with Joe, he's a good man, but his was a failure of passivity. It's passivity. He simply choose to deny it. There's this quote that I read. It's fascinating. Joe said, I don't fish. I don't golf. I don't cut the lawn. Football is my life. It was a really honest quote. Football was his whole kingdom. And so the reality is it's a big kingdom. He was the winningest coach in all of college football. And, and his accolades are just stunning. But football is an incredible small story to see his legacy evaporate overnight. And, and, and the sad thing is, you know, he got sick as soon as this all came out, diagnosed with lung cancer. Three weeks later, he's dead. You see, he actually died of a broken heart. It wasn't cancer that killed him. It was a broken heart because his kingdom was football and he chose to deny the reality of the true kingdom, of how it works, of how God builds kings and how he entrusts them with his kingdom came imploding. General Petraeus, you know, four-star general of ours, director of our CIA, he's one of the more recent ones. Just so brutal, 37 years of career service and he's at the pinnacle of his career and he ends up sleeping with the woman writing his his autobiography. And, and, and I, as I read the story, I thought, I, I would have too. Are you kidding? Like 37 years of putting up with all the, the crap that he has to. And like, I was talking to one, one guy that serves our military and he said, just the world of these men, of, you know, just being coddled and everyone, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And they start, you know, really thinking pretty highly of themselves and feeling invincible. And so all this pain and this, and this, and, and then you have this beautiful woman that shows up. You have an old, angry wife that's just tired of your crap. And this beautiful woman shows up and gets paid to listen to your story and to receive all of your dreams and your hopes and your accolades. Like, are you kidding? Like, he got taken out because he wasn't living in the larger story. And, and the point of this is, this is every man's story. These are just public examples. And the, one of the ones that, that was the hardest was Lance Armstrong. You know, one of the world's greatest athletes. And here's him sitting, you know, the tweet that he sent under his seven tour victories. I mean, was, is and still one of the most world's phenomenal athletes. And, but what comes out was, it was all, there was so much deception. He was lying to his own children. The interview with Oprah is just so painful. I, I watched it again and again because I was kind of breaking it up into pieces because it's a phenomenal study in the true self and the false self. But Lance is a good man. Um, he's a fatherless man. He's a driven man. Never really has had yet the opportunity to take his heart to God for his validation. And so he believed the deception. Um, but what's sad is, you know, 
he almost lost his life to cancer. It was a 50-50 battle, and he saved it, and that was a big deal. But it was a bigger deal is it, it said that 80 million people put their hope in the Live Strong Foundation. They put their hope in that. Secular organization bringing hope, and all those dreams crushed. It's high stakes, high outcomes, high consequences. Um, it's every one of our stories. The primary work of God is finding men in whom he can entrust his power. The story of most men, and what I would say is the story of every man, in part or in whole, is being entrusted with his power and bringing harm to themselves, to us, and those under our care. Close your eyes for a minute and think of a tree. I want you to picture these trees out here. And just, just picture the, 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 the spruces or these aspens or poplars or oak trees. And, and just let that picture of a tree form. If you're like me, um, the image for most years came uh, of this tree from the ground up without roots. That this, this is a tree, you know, and stature of a trunk and branches and leaves. But the truth is, a true tree is, it's all that you can't see. I remember the first time being in a place tropical was our honeymoon 14 years ago. And we went to St. John's Island and went snorkeling for the first time. I had never been in the ocean past, you know, 15 feet and we were in this water, and I remember putting on a snorkel and looking and seeing, like, this whole world. And if you've snorkeled or scuba dived, you know what I'm talking about. Like, the ocean, though I didn't realize it, the ocean used to be just the top of the water. And there was this whole new world introduced to me that I've fallen in love with. Trees are the same way, where we, we, we see this, and we think about that, but the truth is, what establishes a tree is everything below the ground. And my hope for you And our prayer for you simply this week is that you will see trees differently, that God will actually change you such that when you see these trees, you understand their thriving comes from this vibrant root structure. Douglas firs are one of my favorite trees, and what's fascinating about them, they'll spend the first, um, they, they have a taproot that goes straight down until it can reach good water. And they can be, you know, over 100 years old. But 50% of that taproot is grown in the first three to five years of its life. Think of a 90-year-old tree. 50% is the first three to five years. It, and so I live in, um, on a postage stamp in suburbia. I call it suburgatory. And uh, have this little house and should have a white picket fence because we have a minivan and two kids. And there are these two beautiful Doug firs. And these beautiful Doug firs that someone planted 20 years ago and we developed it. And what's wild, so we live on the front range of Colorado Springs. There are these mountains here and then this little suburban neighborhood. And the way it's designed, it's really protected from these winds. So these Chinooks come racing down. But all these houses, rows after rows of houses, protect the trees and the neighborhood and our trampoline from getting destroyed. Um, But one day, a couple years ago, a rogue wind came in from the north, where they usually don't come. And somehow it whipped through the corner of our street and it took down this beautiful Doug fir. And I walked around and here was the root base for it. There's no tap root. It's just a surface structure. And it was a beautiful tree and you would have never known it. And the father said, yes, this is, this is the story of most kings. It literally never established a tap root. And it looked great. Everything worked fine until a rogue wind came 
and it was shown for what it truly was. See, the problem with this decade, this decade of training, this decade of character over kingdom, this decade of becoming good soil, is the winds come. And sooner or later, we're, find, we're found out for what is our foundation. What is our root structure, really? And this Doug Fur couldn't survive because it, it, it was actually false. Um, one of the terms God gave me for is a propped up kingdom. I, I was down in Florida. Um, my, my youngest brother passed away of brain cancer and we were fighting for his life for 18 months and, and he's a passionate fly fisherman. So I did everything I could to fish him for some beautiful fish um, when we were fighting for him. And so we were on the flats of Florida and we're going by in these flat boats, but these huge Miami Vice style homes. And just looking at these, these gargantuan castles and there were these palm trees they had that were so big, they actually used telephone pole tripod structures to, to maintain them until they could, the roots could catch up. And the father just said, that's it. Most men are propped up kingdoms. They're, they're falsely propped up out of fear, out of shame, out of accolades, out of your gifting being championed beyond your maturity and mine. And the storm will come, and most men become a statistic like those guys. And the question is, how will our lives be different? Because what's really sobering is most men that get taken out, their lives weren't much different than ours when they were young. See, that's the distinction. Um, It's that subtle shift now, like a rudder on a sailboat, that makes a massive shift later. And so the question is, how, how will our life be different? Um, what is the narrow road? I mean, that's, that's one of the questions for this decade. What, what is the narrow road? How will you find it? How will you know when you're on it? Um, because most of us, we, we fight bravely and we die quickly. It, it's not for lack of desire. It's not lack of good desire, but it's misin, misin, being misinformed on the how, on the when, on the why, all the motive questions, on the interior questions. I want to show a great clip um, that really brings this to the heart of it. Uh, the Mask of Zorro. The bar scene when young Zorro meets older Zorro. When the son is ready, the father appears. Um, I just love the honesty of the sage, the father in there, to say, oh, and you're drunk and you're angry and you're in no condition to fight a professional soldier. And, and young Zorro just doesn't have the ears to hear, and that's okay. He's patient, he's kind. Just a note on this, the father is always relating to the man that we are, that we have yet to become. That's why we misunderstand him a lot. He is relating to the man in you that you are, that you have yet to fully become. You know, the, the, the soul is always searching for the Father. And he desperately, um, the Father does not want us to fight bravely and die quickly. It's not too late. We have a chance to really ask the question, what is it that I want? What is it that I want for my legacy? What is it that I want to be said about my life around the campfires of the kingdom. 
what is it that I want my wife to describe when she's hanging out with her friends and she's talking about her marriage? What words would my kids use to describe my emotional life around them? We get a chance, all that, to bring it to God. You know, one of the awful things about God is that he is fiercely committed to thwarting our building so that he can get to this place in us. One of the verses that just blows my mind that I've never heard anyone teach on, but Luke 2.23, when Simeon, who's just this remarkable man, holds up the baby Jesus, and she says, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many. Jesus is destined to cause the falling of many. He wants us to fall in the context of his generosity and his love so that we can be built upon a solid foundation, that we can become the kind of man that God can entrust with his power. A really important question to get to this place is what's not working? What's not working? You know, it was really wild. I was looking at my notes from a couple years back, and a couple years ago I said, in me, this drivenness. You know, I just can't get out of either fifth gear or first gear, and the other was my marriage and these patterns of continuing to hurt Sherry and Sherry hurting me, these chronic hurting patterns, and then this, this huge addiction to food. And what's crazy is like those are pretty gone in some pretty measurable ways. And then there's this whole other new set that I had to add today. I'm just like, oh, you know, as I am just, I struggle with submitting to my kings. I struggle with letting go of outcomes as the basis of my prayer life. I am so convinced that I am a far better strategist over my life than God is for mine. I absolutely believe I know better. This deep, incessant agreement that it's all up to me. This weekend's up to me. Marriage is up to me. It's up to me to come through because my dad did, and now I need to. What's not working? That's our common ground. It's a really good place to start. Guys, what I want to suggest is that there's this radical reorientation that something happened in the garden in the fall, that there's a moment where Adam, as John talks about in boot camp, he's taught all this, Adam chose Eve over God. It was a compromise of his soul, of his character, of his wholeness. And ever since that moment, there's been a broken place in our interaction with God. And that's what God is wanting to restore. He's wanting to restore us as whole and holy men. He wants to give us the wholeness of our masculine heart. Willard says that the most important thing about us is not what we do, it's who we become. The most important thing about you is who you're becoming. And that's the question, one of them for the weekend. Who am I becoming? What we want to suggest is that God is completely reorienting it, that the goal is not to build. The goal is to not build at all. Though that's the desire We let that desire be the fuel to receive his invitation for us to become sons so that we can become men, so that we can be apprenticed in the kingdom, in kingdom living. We can literally walk with him and work with him and watch how he does it so that we can become wholehearted men. And it's really character over kingdom. And when I say character, I don't mean morality. You know, Dallas defines characters, what we do without thinking about it. So what we do and who we are without thinking about it. It's a really good indicator. 
Talking about wholehearted men. Talking about intact, integrity meaning solid through and through, body, soul, spirit, the integration. You know, Ortberg talks about that the soul is like the operating system of the self. It integrates our deep heart and our body and our mind and our will and our emotions. The soul integrates. It's really risky to believe that the primary invitation is for us to become whole and holy men, to focus on God inviting him to father us and build our character rather than us going and building a kingdom first. And what's crazy is it's all over the place. You know, the Great Commission is this, this scripture that's always been used for evangelism. And as I've been reflecting on it, meditating over the last couple of months, Matthew 28, it says, it says, go and make disciples. It doesn't say go and evangelize. And then it says baptize them. But it says you baptize them because you have made disciples. You know, Peterson says it this way, in the message, God authorized and commanded us to commission you. Go and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, right? He's been trained to fight. You've been trained to drink. <laughs> what have you been training in? Guys in the 30s spend a lot of time. This is the primary motive that, that I really found when I started unpacking this with mentors. Guys get real, they're busy, and they react to this desire from God to build. And they start building really three things. Make a little money, building a bank account, making a name for themselves, building a reputation, and getting something going. Just that feeling to satiate the need to have a something. You guys know this, right? We go building those things. I'm suggesting a radical reorientation. And what I want you to do is take it to the Father and ask him if it's true. Um, a couple of the guys just had the privilege to journey through all this with. John, Dale, Alex, Burton, and Aaron McHugh. Aaron, as I said, he, he's part of our leadership team. Though he doesn't work for Ransom Heart. He's been in every intensive and been a good friend. Just fought wars together. With all these guys, you know, peers, Allender says, real peers, you find like-hearted kings and uh, you sign treaties. And when they're at war, you're at war. You find like-hearted kings, he said, living in the same direction. And I have a few like-hearted kings and uh, these are a few of them. All three of these guys were at the first intensive a half a decade ago. And so I'd love you guys to come and just react to it. I'd love to hear a bit of where were you when you were sitting here five years ago and you're hearing this invitation to total reorientation and now you've been in it for five years and so where have you gone with that? So can you guys take a, a pass at reacting? Probably the one that resonates most with me and Morgus was asking this a question. So I'm Aaron McHugh. Um, nice to meet you guys. Um, was if we rewind the clock and look at five years ago in asking these questions, the one that, the pill that was the hardest for me to swallow was taking the lowest seat at the table. And the reason why I think is probably true for a lot of us is that we're hardwired and equipped, like Morgan said to Bill, we have these skills and these talents, these desires. We're early in our 30s and we are trying to make something happen. And you have people in tow, your families and your kids, and you are trying to make it happen. And the world actually promotes us being kings as soon as possible. The world actually rewards you being the hardest driving guy you know. 
And so the part for me that I just wrote down was that the taking the lowest seat at the table until God actually promoted me. And there's a, a scripture that supports this in Proverbs. It's 25.6. It says, Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among great men. It is better for him to say, come up here. And one of the things I'll say is that if it wasn't for guys like Morgan and John and, and Alex, I wouldn't have been able to continue to keep the bridle in my mouth. And, and also, if it wasn't for guys like Sam Ainsley and Chuck Bolton, who are um, here as part of the facilitators, I hope you guys get a chance to meet older men to help me see the value in remaining in the lowest seat. And I'm now in at the big boys' table. And what I can say is that because of this taking the narrow road and the ancient path, not the way that the world promotes and entices us, then I'm actually at a place where I can handle what I'm entrusted with and hopefully not inflicting the harm that I would have otherwise. Yeah, so when um, Morgan did this five years ago, the invitation was an invitation to a decade, a decade of character over kingdom, as he talked about. And when I heard him say that, when I heard him talk about lowest seat at the table and look at taking a decade of your life and giving it over to just letting God build your character and don't build the kingdom. My internal reaction was bullshit. (laughs) Like, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Till 40? Like, I was 32 five years ago. But I was sitting there going, I already feel behind. Like, in that draw, that pull to, I got to get something going. I got to build something. And I'm already behind on that. And so it was really, it was just a really disruptive idea to me. And then God really disrupted me. This question came to me and it, in, in that first one five years ago. And it was, what if you commit? What if you commit to this decade of building your character and you don't build anything else but your character? And then you die at 40. Is it worth it? And then God brought my kids to mind. And the thought of them, if I died at 40 and all I built was my character, what do I want them to say? And one option is I try to build the kingdom and die at 40 and my kids' reaction is, yeah, my dad was a really successful guy. But he's kind of an asshole. Or do I want him to say, my dad really didn't do anything, he didn't build anything, but man, the last years of his life, every year he became a better man and he became a great dad. And that's what I want. And that has been the journey of these five years and it's been so worth it. And the next five years of that is so worth it. And that's what I want. Mm, that's good, Alex. So, man, five years ago, I was a really different person. From outward appearances, like, I think most people from the outside looking in would have said, man, John's really, like, sort of at the top of his game. I was successful. I was making a lot of money running a company. And Morg invited me to come to this gathering of world changers. I was like, yeah, 
world changers. <laughs> and we went on this journey that you guys are about to go to. And, and I remember towards the end of the time, we, we each took a few minutes to sort of share one of the takeaways from the weekend. And, and what I shared was that I suddenly realized that I might be working so hard to change the world, but what if I'm changing the wrong part of the world? And, you know, like uh, Alex and Aaron have alluded to, Morgan invited us into this decade of excavation, this decade of taking the lower seat. And so I took him up on his invitation. And while the result has been me walking away from those things that give sort of that appearance of outward success, I've become a better dad because of it. Like I'm around for my kids my wife has got her heart back. And so the invitation for you guys for this weekend is to, this is just the beginning. And I would really challenge each one of you as you're, as you're heading into this weekend to not think about trying to figure everything out right now, but to take the invitation that Morgan and the other guys are giving to the beginning of a decade. Because it's really important. You guys are world changers, right? The reason that you were invited here is because God's got a call on your life. But it is important that you change the right part of the world. I was really trying to figure out some way to get their wives and their kids here to give the response because it's true. They're not yet, and they are being changed. It is God's design, and it is his desire, and it is his intention. In other words, that's where your life is headed. See, good men are magnets for kingdom, right? Second Chronicles says it. The spirit of the Lord moves around looking for men, looking for people whose hearts are turned towards him. There ain't a lot of them. And I have had the privilege of walking with lots of men and seeing kingdoms come and go and money come and go and influence come and go. And God can move those chess pieces overnight. But what he can't do is make a wholehearted man overnight. He's a generous sower. He can throw the seed, but it takes time. It takes choosing the narrow road. And ultimately, as those guys said, hopefully the holy disappointment, which will turn to be a very happy thing down the road, is this weekend is just an introduction. The whole weekend is built around the question of would you take the red pill and give God a decade? Because the things that God loves to do best, like great scotch, is it happens over time, or diamonds over time. It takes time. In our modern view of an instant culture, in this, this instantaneous Christianity that we bought into, doesn't value this much, but God still does. And, and it takes time. And so would you give God a decade to let your motives be about God going after the deepest places, the deepest limits that we've placed on him, the deepest places where our false self still leading our life, the deepest places of agreements, places where we need deliverance and healing, the deepest shame and fear, the deepest places that need the love of a father. What is the narrow road? And I want to put that question 
is one of the biggest ideas for the weekend. And I don't want to answer it. I just want to ask it. And I want to pray that God would bring some of that to us this weekend. But what is the narrow road? How do you know you're on it? How do you know when you've stepped off? Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. And it's no different, sacred, secular, Christian or not. There's many entering through that. But there's a small gate and a narrow road. That one leads to life. And only a few find it. And I can tell you, brothers, that the Father believes that you can find it. And you can choose it. And he will lead you through it. It's available and it's closer than we've been led to believe. And with that, we wrap up session two of our three-part series on Become Good Soil, the Intensive. There's so much more, so much that we can't even get into the podcast that you'll want to hear. And you can get the resource now if you'd like. Go to ransomedheart.com backslash become good soil. This is a keepsake wood box custom made for this project. Inside is a flash drive. It's got eight hours plus of teaching from Morgan in audio and video. So you can watch this series or you can listen to it however you like. And also inside, we wanted to include something that was unique. And at the events, we actually give each man a knife. And it's a way of showing that you can become the kind of man entrusted with the kingdom of God to powerfully move forward. And this knife is a symbol of that. And it's part of the box set. So there's actually a knife with the Become Good Soil name engraved on the knife. It's a killer set. You'll want to look at it and you'll want to listen to this message because there's so much more.